0: We look at, we're going to be looking at a traditional passage of scripture today, um, but I want to tie it to something that maybe we've never tied it to before. But uh, I'm Reverend Sean Guerin, and I'm going to be preaching from the liturgical uh, calendar scripture. I have to get used to preaching from, from um, our traditional kind of calendar year as I get ready to move to a new church. And our passage for today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And it says, uh, it says this, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. What an uplifting um, teaching from Jesus. that The subheading for this passage is "The destruction of the temple foretold." something you probably never want to hear Jesus coming to your church and preaching about. Um, but I just finished watching the Sopranos. Uh, it's on HB.O. Max. So I had to watch it. It's such a great series. Uh, but yes, I've, I've committed, my, I committed myself to watching six long seasons. And I probably devoted hours of my life to watching it. When it first came out in 1999, I remember people running home on Sunday nights to watch the next episode. They would only release them once every week. Remember that those days? Um, I was in the military at the time, so I kind of missed this period that people were going through. We, you know, I was doing uh, deployments and things like that, so uh, I had no idea what a phenomenon it was. Uh, and I remember going out one night with some friends. Yes, I'm a pastor, I used to go out to bars with my friends. <laughs> and one night I was out at a bar with some friends, and the show came on the TV. And the whole place went silent. Everybody stopped talking and started watching The Sopranos. The whole party ended. And everyone was completely wrapped up in the show. And I had no idea what was going on. You know, Here I am now, 22 years later, catching up on what I missed. Um, but back then, if you missed the show the previous week, it's not like one of those shows you could jump right into. Uh, you'd be lost if you didn't see the one before it. It's a series, so you'd have to watch uh, the show one episode at a time. Because if you don't know the story from the start, if you hadn't been following along the plot uh, from the beginning, you'd find yourself wondering, you know, why is Tony mad at Chris? You know, why is this person uh, going after that person? You'd be, you know, asking why are they behaving this way? Why, you know, why are they doing this and doing that? So it is with scripture. I can read one passage to you. You know, back before I think it was before the fifteen hundreds or something, they didn't have the chapters and the verses, so it wasn't all chopped up. Um, so there was a time when early in the in the in early in the christian church people would actually if they presented the gospel of matthew they would the, the reason it has like a beginning and an end it, the reason it flows so well is cuz they would act it out it was like a drama so they would just present the entire thing they didn't have other shows to watch back then <laughs> um but you know today sometimes often someone will try to preach from one part of the scripture, and uh, they'll try to pull a moral truth out of one episode of scripture, but it, it I had a professor who used to tell us, uh, it's sometimes embarrassing to listen to your sermons because you've pulled it completely out of the entire plot. you just pulled, it's like analyzing one episode without analyzing the entire show. And I, I, so I've learned to actually hate when this happens. I think it distorts scripture. It distorts who and what Jesus was actually teaching. So in this episode today of the Sopranos, I mean the Gospels, uh, we see Jesus coming out of the temple with his disciples and on the way out, they marvel at the building saying something like, wow, look at this building. Isn't it beautiful, Jesus. And he crosses the street and heads over to the Mount of Olives and says, yeah, look, look at it. One day, it'll all be knocked down. You know, when I was a kid, after Christmas, my mom would take my siblings and I down Fifth Avenue, we would spend all of our Christmas money uh, and go on our way to F.A.O. Schwartz. But she'd take us down Fifth Avenue, and on the way, you would pass St. Patrick's Cathedral. And This story, in some way, would be the equivalent to me saying to my mom, Wow, Mom, look at this beautiful St. Patrick's Cathedral. Look at this church. And to her taking us across the street to Rockefeller Center, and her saying, Yeah, one day it's going to be a pile of rubble. See, in previous episodes of Scripture, we get some context. Today, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. But in the previous episode of Scripture, in chapter 11, we see Jesus heading into Jerusalem, the city where the temple was. Back then, they only had one temple. You know, it's not like our block where there's ten churches. (laughs) Back then, they had one temple. In the city, in the towns like Nazareth, they would have a synagogue, but they wouldn't have a temple. Uh, And the temple, the people would come from all over to the temple like three times a year for the big, you know, festivals. Um, They would go to it, you know, to see where God was. God lived in, that was his address, one temple avenue. And they would come from all over to, to worship there. And in chapter 11, we'll call this season one, episode 11 of Jesus. Jesus comes into town and sees how the temple had been turned into a marketplace. Because it was a festival, right? But this wasn't any kind of marketplace. It was an outside area of the temple where you could buy doves. And you're probably thinking, you You can go to the marketplace outside the temple and get a dove. That's sweet. Doves represent the Holy Spirit. Um, But they would go and buy doves to have them brought into, into the temple so that you can then have it sacrificed for your sins. So you'd buy the dove, bring it to the priest, and he would sacrifice, you know, maybe do a little snap, and cut it, and you could feel nice and clean before God. Thank you, God. The blood cleansed me. This was the business of the temple. Jesus, as the messenger of God, sees this as an absolutely ridiculous practice. And so guess what he does? He starts flipping the tables over in frustration. Now this does sound like Tony Soprano. Maybe Tony Soprano might do something like that. But Jesus Jesus sees this whole scene as absolutely ridiculous. This is your relationship with God where you do something wrong, you go by a dove and bring it to this guy who kills it, and the blood now cleanses you, that's, that's the religion. Now, he simply doesn't get away with flipping the tables over. It says that the priests now wanted to kill him, and so he has to get out of the city. What he did succeed in doing, though, was that he hadn't just flipped the tables he flipped a switch in people's minds because he called out the temple for being a den of robbers and for taking away people's focus on what real repentance was. That you could just go by your way into God's graces was a ridiculous and archaic practice that Jesus challenged. And the scripture says in this episode that people were spellbound by Jesus' teaching. For he, in a very bold way, stood right up to the temple and went right into their backyard and called them out. In the episode right before the story we just heard, maybe if there was a last week, you know, scenes from last week, uh, we would see this. We, we would, uh, right before the flipping of the tables, um, Jesus, we get the strange story. Jesus is walking by a fig tree, And the disciples say, look at that fig tree, Jesus. You cursed it the other day. So this happens right before he flips the tables over. So he's walking by this fig tree. He curses it. And they come back to it a couple days later. And the disciples point out to Jesus, look, you cursed that fig tree. Now it's all withered. Uh, You cursed it because it didn't have any figs on it. What is that all about? Why did Jesus curse a fig tree? What did the fig tree ever do to Jesus? That story is just randomly placed in Scripture, but I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. So after Jesus flipped the tables over in Jerusalem, Jesus is back at the temple, and the priests are like, by what authority are you getting off doing the things you're doing, calling us out? Jesus was a popular teacher back then. You could think of him like Socrates. Questioning everything people did, and he questions. They ask him a question: By what authority do you get off doing these things? And Jesus, like Socrates, answers with a question, and he says, "Did John the Baptism's, uh, John the Baptist's baptism, come from heaven or from human origin?" And he trapped them, because Jesus was baptized by who? John, and. John pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God. So he's the successor to John the Baptist. And so if they said human origin, that's going to make it look like John the Baptist, who the people loved, was not from God. So uh, then everybody would have turned against the priests. So they didn't answer answer Jesus' question that question. And so Jesus says, if you don't answer me, I'm not going to answer you. So you should go back and watch these episodes. You can read them in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 11 through 12. It'll take 10 to 15 minutes. That's it. But you can see that Jesus is no fan of the priests. He's no fan of the temple. He's no fan of what religion was back then. To Jesus... Religion was just a power game, a business that served the priests and the religious institution that they served. He literally says in chapter 12, verse 38, and if you thought, we always think that the flipping of the tables was bad. This is in Mark towards the end, so this is about where they're about to kill Jesus. So if you thought, like, he didn't instigate them, wait till you hear this. He says, beware of the scribes. Do you know what scribes are? They're the ones who copy, edit, and write, study the scriptures. He says, beware of the scribes. Those who write the Bible, beware of them. Beware of them for they, quote, like to walk around in long robes, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. Uh, They will receive the greater condemnation. Whoa. If you ever wanted to know why they killed Jesus back then, you don't need to look any further. And you can't just say that the Jewish people killed Jesus. I, I got into a discussion about this with somebody recently. They didn't. Those in power killed Jesus. Those who manipulated religion for their glory and power did it. Certain Catholic priests manipulated religion for their own purposes, but all Catholic people did not do those things. Not all Catholics did that, but the institution allowed it because it had gotten more focused on power and glory, just like the priests and scribes in the temple story. There actually were some Jewish leaders who liked Jesus. It was, those, it was just those at the top of the great religious pyramid scheme who didn't like to be called out uh, you know when Jesus would be calling them out. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He was going right after them. Uh, Last week, at most Sunday church services, we would have all heard the story of the widow who donated two copper coins. She gave all she had, and Jesus praised her, and then he pointed out that the rich only gave what they felt like. We would have heard that the money the widow gave, uh, Max preached on this, the money that the widow gave went to the treasury that served the poor and needy. She was poor and needy and gave all she had, and the rich only gave And he's really calling out the priests. He says, you're the rich elites and you're only giving a little bit uh, to help those who need it the most. So before we come to today's episode, remember about the stone, the temple being destroyed, which Jesus said when they said, look at this great building. Before we get to that, I just want to ask you a question. Can you tell me what Jesus thinks about the religion of his day? Does he like it? Is he a fan? Uh, Is he a supporter? No. He thinks it's all a distracting scam. And so when his disciples marvel at the temple, and this this is pretty embarrassing for the disciples, I mean, they've been following him this whole time, we're far along in the Gospel of Mark, to find one of them saying, Hey, Jesus, You know, now we're in episode 13, chapter 13. Uh, Jesus, hey teacher, what large stones and what large buildings would we be surprised by what Jesus says next? He looks at the building and says to his naive disciple, do you see these buildings? Uh, Do you see these great, this great marble, this great stone? Not one of these stones will be left upon another. They'll all be thrown down. So not even his disciples got what he was saying. Does anyone get Jesus? That's one of the themes of Mark. Did they get him back then? If they didn't get him back then, do we get him today? Have we not done? I mean, look around. We don't have one temple now. We have lots of temples Didn't we just end up doing exactly what they did back then? We don't sacrifice doves, but instead today we're covered by the blood of Jesus. What was Jesus so mad at? What frustrated him so much that he flipped over tables, that he called out the priests and scribes for manipulating the Bible and for their long-winded, inauthentic prayers, what made him call out those religious people who only give enough to get a nice tax deduction? What made him so tired of this system of sacrifice where people could just live lives in a relationship with God and say, you know, I'm a sinner, but Jesus covers all my sins. What made him so mad about that back in his day? What made him wish that his own temple would be knocked down? Well, remember that fig tree that I mentioned earlier? I told you I'd come back to it. So one day in the story, this is randomly just put in here. It's such a short thing, and I, that's when you should go, this is weird. Whenever something's weird in Scripture, you should stop and go, somebody wants me to read this. So Jesus happens in the midst of all this. Jesus happened upon a fig tree when he was hungry, and he came to it, and there was nothing on it. No figs, just leaves. And he curses at the fig tree. Can you picture, like, what a strange encounter. And a couple days later... Jesus and the disciples walk by it, and it's all withered up and dead and dry. It had no fruit, and I know, yes, a fig is not a fruit. I actually thought of Gene, <laughs> because you might, somebody might call it, it's a flower, but back then they would see it as a fruit. But he goes to this fig tree, and he's hungry, and it has nothing on it. There's no fruit, no fig, we know that Jesus, the great teacher of parables, uses fruit as a metaphor for virtues. Paul, 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 an apostle of Christ, tells us what the symbol of fruit is. In Galatians chapter 25, my mom, my wife, everybody has like a poster of this somewhere, uh, has Galatians um, verse 5 in chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, we have to read the Scriptures allegorically. Otherwise, Jesus curses out fig trees for not having figs on them. We must understand that they are parables meant to draw out a spiritual or moral lesson. And so wrapped up in, this, in these episodes that we just went through today is Jesus, who finds a fig tree. It says he sees it in the distance, and it's filled with leaves. So he's hungry. He goes up to it. He says, let's go over to that fig tree. But when he gets close to it, he finds it has no figs on it, no fruit. And this strange encounter of of him cursing the fig tree for being without its fruit is going to be the parable the gospel uses to explain what happened when Jesus got to the temple in Jerusalem. As he got close, you know, from the distance, it looks, wow, look, there's the temple. I've been there. It's, wow, it's amazing. As he got close to, uh, to the temple he found it to be a pretty fig tree filled with leaves, but that it had no fruit. It taught superstitious and silly doctrines and dogmas. It was filled with traditions and rituals that 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 says has an outward appearance of godliness. People flocked to the temple, but it only taught religion, didn't teach you anything about life transformation. It simply taught, if you do wrong, and we do this today, if you do wrong, you can be forgiven by blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, don't sing that to your kids. It sounds scary. And it was filled with priests whose aim was flowery rhetoric rather than repentance. Jesus taught repentance. Do you know what repentance means? I'll I'll demonstrate. You're going this way. Turn around. <laughs> repentance is to just turn around from going one direction. For Jesus, he's saying, if you're going in the wrong direction, you got to turn around and go in the right direction. Jesus taught repentance through and through, and I can't remember the last time I've heard a sermon on repentance. <laughs> And this is what John the Baptist taught. This is what he taught Jesus. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. What is the devil portrayed as? As a snake? He's saying, You den of Satans, (laughs) you snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Listen to this. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit. Do not presume to say, Oh, Abraham's my ancestor. Uh, John the Baptist says, I can can tell these stones, Hey, you're ancestors of Abraham. He says, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what John says, and that's what Jesus taught. If Christianity is a religion of anything, it is a religion of life transformation. It is a religion of virtue, of moral and ethical living, This is what Jesus came to bring back to his people. He came to bring a way for us to ascend from self-centered living to living selfless lives so that our souls might reap the reward. Jesus was concerned about the inner life of the human being, not the outward. And so he flipped over tables and he called out the priest and scribe, Scribes and wished for the temple to be knocked over. Do you know why? To establish a new temple, to establish a new law, to establish a new way of living. But this temple wouldn't be built of stones, and this law wouldn't be written on pages of a book or on stone tablets. You ever read the autobiography of Jesus? No, he wrote nothing down. (laughs) He came to teach us a way of living, but a very personal way of living. Jesus wanted to establish a personal religion where human beings took it upon themselves to be living temples where God would dwell inside each individual where a new law would be preached every day by the individual who asks of themselves, how can I turn from my vices and be a garden of Eden to myself that bears fruits of the Spirit, where our souls mattered more than our fading flesh, where living inauthentic and fruitless lives was to be feared more than death itself. And that is what he did. Jesus lived life to the full, and he calls for his disciples to do the same thing. He's calling me to do it. He's calling you all to do it. To not just attend church, but to be the church. To not just own a Bible, but to write one with your own life. To not just worship him. When did Jesus ever say, Worship me? <laughs> he said, Follow me. Join me this week. This week is your episode, my episode. This week is the next chapter in the life of Sean Garen. <laughs> in your lives, too. Maybe one that calls you to turn around, maybe one that calls you to check the fruit in your garden. You could do that by taking one fruit of the Spirit, taking one virtue to work on this week. Maybe it's to be more loving, to be more affectionate. Sometimes I'll think, wow, this dinner is so good that my wife made for me, and I feel this like I have this thought, and I don't say it. And I hear it. I hear it. I thank you for taking care of what you needed to take care of today. That thought crosses my mind. I've been practicing this virtue. It's not, it's not like the thought is there, but the action, the fruit of it is when I actually tell her, hey, thank you so much for doing, for for making this for us tonight. And then my kids start saying it too. See, it's 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 um, contagious. But that's just one that's one virtue, one thing I'm working on. Do you know what kind of environment that creates in my house? Love. It makes a garden. Now you can come to the fruit. You could taste it. You can come over to my house and go. Who are these weirdos? They are nice to each other, and I could hear it. Maybe it's to have uh, a little more patience. Maybe you're an impatient person. So just write down, be more patient. But don't just write that down. Why are you? What is the rush? (laughs) I'm not saying just repress like your desire to get things done. I'm, I'm asking, look at this whole virtue of, look at this, what, how do I cultivate patience in my life? Like, what would it take for me? How do I turn around from the way I am impatient and create a garden of patience? That might be like, hey, maybe you're the one in a rush and you're expecting everybody else to be on your schedule, but they're not. And maybe they have stuff going on. See, this is the kind of stuff that Jesus was teaching. Not, uh, you know, kneel down on white rice so you feel the pain in your knees so that you can understand. What I know that people do this in religions. They not, um, you know, pour water on your head and that will make you clean. What does that do? That's just a ritual. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus was teaching. They used to, in the temple... He'd say, why do you wash the outside of the cup? Shouldn't you wash the inside? Because the ritual was, wash the cup on the outside. He says, it's the inside that (laughs) that matters. That's what you're pouring the stuff into, and that's what Jesus was saying about us, is it's the inner life that needs to be clean. Maybe this week you want to be more joyful. Well, you listen. Listen to some music. Stop listening to the news so much. Maybe it's to be peaceful. Maybe it's to practice some self-control. You know, instead of getting the two hamburger meal at McDonald's, maybe just get the one hamburger meal. This is what Christianity is. This is what Christians do. This is the way to the truth and the life that Jesus taught. It isn't easy. But that's why the reward we get, the salvation of our souls, is the greatest treasure, the greatest prize that a human being could ever achieve.